Hello and welcome back to Beyond Boards. Today's guest is a photographer, filmmaker, and one of skateboarding's very best storytellers. Patrick O'Dell launched a blog called Epically Latered in the early 2000s, which eventually became a TV show on Vice, documenting skateboarders' lives and journeys, their ups and downs, the inside stories. He's had in-depth interviews with pretty much every legendary pro skater from the early 90s up until recently, such as Chad Muscat, Gino Iannucci, Jason Dill, Andrew Reynolds, Eric Costin, Arto Sari, to name a few. In recent years, he directed the Big Brother documentary Dumb, and he's currently collaborating with Vance, aside from being a full-time dad. So here's my conversation with Patrick. I hope you enjoy it. Just uh, hoping maybe that you could introduce yourself a little bit in a few words um, and tell me where you grew up and when you started skating and, and how it all started for you, basically, before you got into shooting photos and filming and making documentaries and everything. We'll, we'll get into that later. But uh, uh, yeah, can you tell me a little bit about growing up first? Yeah, I was born in St. Louis, Missouri, but I consider myself from Ohio. That's right. Yeah, I think I saw that somewhere. Yeah, We moved around a lot. I started skating in Hong Kong because I lived there too. Oh, nice. Cool. How old were you when you started? Well, I guess it depends because I skated before then when I lived in Ohio and um, Kentucky. But I didn't skate in the sense that I knew what an ollie was or what, a, uh, what tricks were or what Thrasher magazine was. I just skated. I had a generic toy store skateboard and would skate down the hill. And I skated, like, I swear I skated. It seems like every day, but I skated a lot. But I didn't, um, I didn't know what tricks were. And then in Hong Kong, I remember a kid came up to me. I was like, yeah, I skate. And he's like, can you ollie? And I didn't know, I didn't know what an ollie was. Ah, uh, damn, yeah. This was around 1989. And uh, then I learned how to ollie. <laughs> and got into, got into trying to be a photographer. Or not be a photographer, but take, I got into photography at the same time, probably. Oh, okay. So so as a teenager, basically. Early teenager, like, yeah, like 13, 12 or 13. And so you were, first you were just shooting photos, not, not filming, right? Yeah, I didn't film at all. It was um, like shooting fake skate photos, like, like Poser of the Months, where you would like stand on a ledge or something, or like pose a trick. I, w- I would take those kind of photos. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just learn to skate. And th- did, you, did you ever um, want to pursue like a... Uh, some sort of career in skateboarding or did, did you try to get sponsored or was it pretty much always just something you, you were just having fun with your skateboard and not uh, overthinking it kind of or? No, I think I fantasized about being a pro skater. I would watch videos and think, oh, maybe someday I can be as good as these people or day, like daydream about being sponsored or being pro. I just didn't ever had the athletic ability to ever even get close to that where I would always had friends better than me. Right. Skating. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would, in Ohio, I got sort of not like shop sponsored, but kind of. Mm-hmm. But that was the closest thing. And so, yeah, I was never I was never a contender for being a pro skater at all. But I but I definitely daydreamed about it. Sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I still I, to this day, I might daydream about it. OK. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> daydream about being an amazing skater. 
Not not necessarily now. I don't daydream about the accolades of being a pro. Sure, sure. I just daydream about imagine if you were as good of a skater as imagine if you were Cardiel or somebody. That would be pretty sick. Yeah. Like you know, you imagine like tricks you could do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So you said you started shooting photos pretty much as you started skating. And when did it become more of a a job or a gig or or a, a means to pay rent basically and uh I read somewhere that you uh, eventually started working for Thrasher in New York City. How old were you when that started and how, how did it all happen, basically? Well, when I was in Ohio, I made zines and I sent photos. I met Bryce Knights, who was the photo editor of Thrasher, uh-huh. and he was like, send me pictures. And I sent him pictures and a few were published in Thrasher. And then my parents really wanted me to go to art school. I'm sorry. They wanted me to go to college, mm-hmm. like a university. I went to art school as a way to kind of make them happy, but also do photography. Right. I went to art art school in San Francisco. Cool. I would say I was shooting photos and submitting them, but I don't think rent was paid with photography at any at any point in college. Okay. And when I moved to New York, it wasn't either. I, I mean, for a long time, I worked jobs and... Yeah, photography was on the side. Yeah, and then at that point, though, I was trying because in college, I kind of had an excuse. I could just like, but when after I got out of college, I was like, I want to work for a skate magazine or, or something. I need a job. And I did have, I did have like waitering jobs and stuff. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I would say it wasn't until maybe 2001 or something that I actually got a job with Thrasher. Mm-hmm. One question I had was uh, if you have like one or two favorite photos that you shot during that time. I don't know if that was uh, pretty much at that time, but I, one picture that stands out to me is the Dill frontside ollie on this like kind of DIY spot in New York City with the Twin Towers in the background. That's a photo you did uh, that I've always enjoyed very much. Uh. I, w- I would say that was one of my favorites. That one, it was funny. I put flashes up and we shot it with flashes, mm-hmm. but the flashes were like a white light. It was like sunset. And I remember later thinking I should disguise the flashes as like yellow like make them match the sunset so it doesn't just look like a blinding white light coming in it would like actually look like organic Mm -hmm. but i didn't in that one and then the one that they published was one where the flashes didn't go off so it's a little blurry the photo doesn't really hold up so it wasn't exactly what you had uh, aimed for no well it looked ended up looking better than the ones with the flashes and also his feet were like a little sketchy in the one they published. And so I remember Jake didn't want to run it from Thrasher. He's like, he's like, it's blurry and his feet are suspicious because his feet are a little sketchy in the photo. Like you mean they're not per- perfectly on the board or something? No, it looks like kind of like a bell. Oh, okay, okay. And it might be like, I mean, he made the trick. He did a bunch of ollies. Yeah. But like yeah. that, that one could have been a bell. I don't know. But it was the right one for the lighting. Sure. Okay. And we liked it. But yeah, if you look at it, you're like, is, is he really going to land that one? Did he actually make this? Yeah. <laughs> so Jake Phelps said his feet look suspicious and, his, uh, and it's blurry. <laughs> and I think he's, he's right, but we ran it anyway. And it's weird that it became like that people remember it. You know? Yeah. And that's why it also ran kind of small, because if it was like a double page, it would have it looked bad, I think. <laughs> How long did this um, gig with Thrasher uh, last? I don't remember. Maybe three or four or five years. And so you were you were in New York City that whole time, or did you uh, go back to California? Or I think towards the end I was going to California a little bit, but I uh, was in New York. Okay. 
And so when did um, Epic Later kind of start in the middle of all this? Uh, I, I think I, I understand that it started as a blog, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I did a blog. I started doing a blog because I just thought it'd be fun because someone else had a blog and I was like, I want to do one of those. And this, I mean, there was social media, but there wasn't sort of like photography social media. So I just started a blog. What year was that? Do you remember? 2004, probably. And the blog got really popular, so it had tons of views. And then I stopped working at Thrasher for some reason. I just quit for some reason. Now when I think back, I'm like, why did I quit? That was like fun, but I did impulsively. And then I started working at Vice as their photo editor. Mm -hmm. And then they started the channel, I guess. or It was like an online channel. They started creating content. And they asked me to do a skateboard show. We named it after the blog because I couldn't think of a name. And I thought the name Epically Later was kind of stupid, but I couldn't think of anything else. So we named it after the blog. And then... How did you come up with the, with the name in the first place? I think, I think you, said, you mentioned that in a few interviews, but uh, I can't remember. It was just an inside joke. Like, I was on a ski trip, and we just kept saying epic sarcastically. Like, epic, <laughs> or ir ironically. And then we kept saying later because somebody said later and we thought it was funny. It was just like a kind of a made up word. Okay. And um, it was an inside joke, I guess you could say. So epic and later were two inside jokes on the same trip. And so when I was sitting in front of the web company trying to think of names for a blog that weren't taken, like I tried a couple others and they were taken. Just the dot com. Right. Which right. I could have done like I could have done like a different thing, but I wanted a dot com, I guess. And I kept thinking of other and then that one came up like I could use it. Which is funny because epically is spelled wrong. It's not written written like that? <laughs> no. I thought it was right. So it's actually a spelling error. The word oh, epically really? okay. is, what is it, E-P-I-C... Like A-double-L-Y or something? Double-L. I don't know. You, you can look it up for me. But it's spelled <laughs> okay. different. It's, it's spelled wrong anyway. I didn't know that. Okay. And then later it is a made-up word. So the whole thing, of course, it was available. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's two made-up words next to each other. So. Uh, And how did Vice uh, react when you uh, suggested to use that name? No, they suggested it. Oh, okay, okay. It was the other way around. I didn't want to, but I couldn't think of something. And then my boss at the time was like, well, if you can't think of anything, it's going to be called Epically Latered. And I was just like, all right, fuck it. Yeah, let's just uh, go with that, yeah. Yeah, just go with that, who cares? I think it's like anything with names. They always seem stupid. Mm -hmm. And then they just become what they are. So like, I think like Thrasher is a stupid name or Baker is a stupid <laughs> name, but you just like... Or anti-hero anti is even kind of a stupid name, but you just like, it just becomes rad because the thing's rad. Yeah. I'm not saying epic, epically later it is, but it just becomes what it becomes. Sure. But I've always, I've always like cringed at it a little bit, but now I'm just like, whatever, it just is what it is. No, it's a good point. Actually, I never thought about that, that like names like anti-hero were kind of stupid, <laughs> but then the branding and everything is, is so yeah, good. Anti-hero is, is a little on the nose, right? Like a little... Mm -hmm obvious but it's it, it became something so epic and so well again epic <laughs> mm -hmm. it, it really is and uh so now uh, i never even thought about that it, it, it was, it's always been engraved in my mind that it's a cool company so it doesn't matter yeah. that what name it has basically because it's like a literary device you know like walter white or somebody is like an anti-hero yeah so yeah. then you start a team and you're like we're the anti-hero like put in the wrong hands that's a cheesy name 
But in the right hands, it's pretty rad. Exactly. Especially with that eagle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how did it all start basically with Vice uh, and um, what were some of the first pieces you made with them uh, as uh, documentaries? The first one was Dustin Dolan. Oh, that was the very first one you did? Okay. Where you were following him in New York City and he was drinking and stuff? Yeah. And the second one, I don't know what the second one was. There was a Billy Rohan and there was a right, yeah. Spanky, Jason Dill. I can't remember what episode two was, but anyway, it was like... The first couple were like Jason Dill, Billy Rohan, Dustin Dolan. I don't know, I'm blanking. I just grabbed whoever was around. Sure, yeah. Did Vice kind of tell you, okay, like, just uh, go get Dustin Dolan and do this? Or did they just trust you and say, just come up with, with whatever you want to do? They just trusted me. It was funny because they don't know anything about skateboarding. So I remember at some point thinking I could make up a pro skater. They wouldn't, <laughs> they wouldn't know or care. And they didn't, nobody watches it before it goes. I mean, somebody must have watched it to make sure there was no, like, like the legal department probably watched it, but like yeah, yeah. nobody, nobody was, um, like knew about skating enough to, uh, know how accurate it was. <laughs> yeah. Or have an opinion. Yeah. Which was funny because we did a season recent, well, not recently, but like a couple of years ago and they were asking for the ideas and the skaters so that they could like approve them. And we were like debating who we were going to do and not do. And I was thinking how much it changed because early on it was like whatever I wanted. And now I'm like having to talk them into ideas. Like sell, sell them Bam Margera yeah. and Harmony Korine and, and everything. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Did you ever uh, try to do that to pull off this uh, idea of creating a, a false uh, pro skater and like doing a kind of an inside joke or something? Or? I don't think so. I don't think we did that. I did one once. I don't know if it's on the internet. I did one of Javier Nunez for a character on a TV show. He was a character on a TV show called How to Make It in America. And somebody from HBO asked me to do a fake Epically Later on the character. And we did it. Okay. And I haven't seen anyone mention it or anything. Like, it could be on YouTube. But we made a fake Epically Later and we had all these people in it uh -huh. talking about the skaters if he was real. I mean, uh, Javier Nunes is obviously real, but his, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, it was the character. Maybe you can dig it up for this. Yeah, yeah. That, that's, I'm going to write it down. It's actually, that would be pretty cool. So um, how did it work uh, as well when you started? So did, did they give you like a, a number of episodes that you had to shoot? Or did you pretty much just come up with whatever you wanted to do? Or how organized was it basically? Did, did they tell you like uh, make us like 12 different interviews or something? They didn't tell me anything. Yeah, they just needed content. And then my show was getting more views than any other show. So then they were like, oh, this is working. Like, people are coming to watch this. And I had a an editor that was designated to my show, this woman, Lauren Cinnamon. She was the editor just for Epically Later. So I was almost doing it on a weekly basis, like just giving her tapes with kind of focused on a certain person. And she would sculpt it into a piece. And then we would put it up. And they were like, filmed the week before wow i was interested in doing that forever i thought it was fun but um i mean it didn't work out that way but at that point we were just like cranking them out mm -hmm. i didn't realize it went that fast i thought it, it took uh, quite a bit of time to you know edit all the episodes and find all the footage uh, of uh, all the writers that you interviewed and stuff uh, i didn't realize it. it it was kind of a fast process 
It was really fast. And some of them, you look back and you're like, I wish I had spent more time working on this. Because if it's like a historical document in skating, and we, we just kind of blaze through it and cut corners and put it out. Like, like watch, I, I don't really watch the old ones, but a couple times they've come up and I've just been like, man, this is crappy. Like, if we had spent longer... Mm-hmm. Not the editing. The editing is always great, but the 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 shooting, we were just rushing through them, you know. Because I was I was just like, let's just make these. And they also, I didn't have a budget. They paid me for like the finished product, but like they just gave me a camera and a mic, and I went out and filmed. There was no like travel budget or stuff like that. Occasionally, I could get a flight or something, but mostly it was just backpack with the camera and the mic in, and a little tripod, and I would just go film. There was no like day day rate or crew or like anyone helping me. Just go up film and then hand the tapes to the team who would then edit and put it together. That's probably why it, why it worked because it it felt very organic and and just very authentic. You know, at least that's what what I felt when I saw them the first time, the first few episodes. And I mean, not not that the rest wasn't, but like the the, the latest uh, season that you made was definitely a lot more of a production. You know, like a lot more. Right editing and more serious so to speak you know like uh if you compare with the first episode with dustin it's a bit more like uh, just hanging out for a day in new york city and and that's cool as well it's, it's like a different approach yeah i just found that if i waited for somebody to help me it would never get made so i just had to go make it mm-hmm. and i've learned i've watched i've seen the difference now in my career because you get to a point where you want to have things look nice and you want to have a production and budget and and things don't get made where you know because you're you're sitting around waiting for somebody to like wire you some money or whatever you're waiting for like the team and the like infrastructure to make a thing whereas then it was backpack camera mic mm-hmm. and i could get i could i can i can on my own get things made but when you're waiting on like a 20 person crew or you're waiting on like somebody to finance something it just take forever yeah no absolutely so you, you had some pretty, ep- uh, again, <laughs> epic uh, interviews done, uh, like some legendary pro skaters. I listed just a few, but like for people who are listening to this and who haven't checked out your work, like you had Eric Costin, Guy Moriano. In the most recent season, you had Chad Muska, Ben Margera. In later ones, you had Ali Bulala, Arto Sari, like pretty much all the most legendary skaters from the 90s and, and early 2000s. If you, if you had to pick like a kind of a top three or top five favorite interviews you did, who would you pick uh, today? Well, I think the Cardi- the Cardiel episode really sort of, I don't know, it felt, it felt like a, a memorable piece for me, like a point in time and a, and a person. I don't know. It just, it just felt like that's what I'll be remembered for is the Cardiel one. I'm proud of it. And I'm proud of getting to tell John's story. Yeah. It kind of like, well, I was going to say help him out because it did that. Like, I think because a lot of those videos back then were, were so scattered, we put it in one place and let him tell his story and put it together. And I think a lot of people that maybe didn't know about him got a chance to kind of get it all in one place. So it felt good. Mm-hmm. And then I, another one, well, the Ali Bulala episode, I'm probably the most proud of. Mm-hmm. Like, because the Cardiel and the Ali Bulalas actually, to me, feel like documentaries. I mean, obviously, I would make them different now, but like at the time, it didn't feel like there were any holes in them. It was like a complete story. 
it had a beginning, middle, and end. And yeah, the storytelling was great. Like uh, I started skating in 2000, so I knew John Cardiel when I started skating, but I didn't really grow up watching him. And he wasn't. I, I was really more into technical skating when I was younger. So Eric Costin was one of my favorites, for example. So John Cardiel was not really on my radar, so to speak. And when I watched the Epic Later episode on his life, I was really uh, amazed uh, at how sick he is, you know, how, how incredible of a skateboarder he is, he was, and how gnarly his injury was. I, I knew nothing about all that and it was really, really interesting and inspiring. And it made me really appreciate, you know, his skating so much more. So, yeah, that was a really cool, cool episode for sure. So my favorites, I think, were Cardiel, Ali. I was really happy to do Alyssa Steamer and Eric Dressen as episodes. I think because they, those people, so Ali was, I mean, I understand. I think a lot of people might hate him because he killed another pro skater. Well, yeah, it was an accident, but yeah. Mm -hmm. So I felt like maybe this is, not that I had an agenda necessarily, but I just knew Ali and I thought it was a nice opportunity for him to sort of tell his story. Absolutely, yeah. And Alyssa and Eric Dressen, I also thought were underrated in skate history that I guess it feels good when I have my own heroes and I don't feel like they're getting the credit they deserve. And if I can come in and let those people tell their stories so that other people can see what I see, that feels good. Yeah. Whereas somebody that's already like if I went and did the Tony Hawk episode right now, not that it would be bad, but people already sort of or people already appreciate him. Yeah, sure. And are excited about him. But I felt like Cardiel, Alyssa, Dressen, Ali Bulala were people that were like undervalued. For sure. Yeah. No, absolutely. Not that that's my job to make people make you make people like appreciate people. But it just it feels good. It feels good when it comes out and, you know. Yeah. Uh, that's actually a question I had planned for later. But uh, so, so as I told you, I've been sober for like a year. And Epically Later has definitely been... A great way for me to uh, see skaters that have been struggling with like alcohol and drug abuse and stuff and seeing them uh, get out of that and getting back on their boards and uh, just basically uh, reshaping their lives. And like I know that the episodes about Arto and Ali and uh, Guy Mariano, for example, I didn't know that he had uh, struggled with that for a long time. I always thought that was really sick that... Uh, not only did you like um, just uh, talk about their careers and uh, shared their stories, but also you um, definitely helped, I guess that helped me and I'm sure it helped other people that were also struggling with uh, alcohol and drugs uh, and, and to see like your favorite pro skaters and seeing them, you know, get out of all that. And uh, it's definitely inspired me to uh, quit drinking and, and, uh, and try to, to uh, yeah, just imitate their process, basically. Yeah, I think... I think drugs and alcohol, it's like an epidemic in skateboarding, not within skateboarding, like just people that skateboard, but pro skateboarding. I think there's a little bit of like idle hands or the devil's play things. It's like here you get money, you're young, you make money, you have people telling you you're awesome and there's no, there's no hours. It's not like pro basketball where you you have to, you have a coach that's going to yell at you yeah. or even fans that need you to like perform skateboarding you can kind of like drop out yeah like you could as a pro skater and i've seen that someone will get hurt or quit skating for six months and the like fandom might not even notice right you can get away with some pretty long hiatuses so i think skaters have all this like time money there's pressure but there's also like free time 
Like nobody's really just like checking in on you. That I just think there's a lot of room, time or permission to start drinking, start using what cocaine, whatever, partying, I guess is how it's called. You start partying and the next thing you know, six months has passed. Yeah. And you haven't filmed one trick or whatever. Yeah. And yeah. You've just been in a blackout for six months and you forget, oh, I'm supposed to. Usually maybe, maybe like a part drops. You, you drop your video part and then you celebrate. Yeah. For a few months. And yeah. Next thing you know, some time's passed. And it's a, a, it's pretty common in skating. It's not like my show meant to have these like alcohol themes, but it's just the, it's just present constantly in skateboarding. Yeah. No, it's interesting. It's uh, yeah, it, it's it's definitely true what you say. What you're saying about how skating is not formatted like other sports. If 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 you can even consider skateboarding a sport, but today probably more than ever. But uh, but yeah, it's it's funny how at least for the later generations, um, it was just very common for everybody to drink and and use drugs, and it was almost like if you if you weren't partying, you were kind of probably people would judge you or not uh, want to hang out with you or something. I think I read somewhere in, in an interview that um, Kenny Anderson never drank. I think he actually started drinking not too long ago. Uh, but like, I don't know if he's, he started drinking a lot, but like he, he started drinking alcohol super late, like in his late 30s or early 40s. I don't know how old he is, but whatever. Um, but I just thought it was interesting that he, he's had such an incredible career and he's never used drugs or never had a sip of alcohol. Or people like Corey Duffel, for example, uh, as well. I think he's never had alcohol in his life. And uh, I don't know, it was just interesting to, see, to think about like these two and how, how amazing they are and how I, I would have never thought that they, were, they weren't drinking, you know? Yeah, there's, been a, there's a few like straight edge for life, like pros, some sort of like Christian ones. And then like Ed Templeton or Jamie Thomas. They both don't drink? I didn't know that. I don't know anymore because I remember Jeff Raleigh, Jamie Thomas, Ed Templeton. They kind of had this like straight edge vibe. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> I don't maybe babysit their alcohol consumption. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm not their probation officer. But, um, <laughs> I feel like they've all like maybe drank a little bit here and there. Or, but I don't know. But they all were like went through kind of like a straight. I don't know if it's straight edge, but you know, like a... a Yeah, Templeton and Ro Rowley were vegans for a long time. I think uh, Templeton still is, yeah. Yeah, vegan, no drugs, no alcohol, no like caffeine, just no cigarettes. Mm. <laughs> But I think there's a, and I think there's a few that are like Christian skaters. I'm not really sure what the connection is between Christianity and sobriety because, yeah, there's like when you, when you go through who like some of the more devout Christian skaters are, a lot of them are not. But I don't know, maybe they drink a little bit, but they're like, don't seem like they're gonna um i i don't i don't know i want to like rattle off the names of, of some christian skaters but i don't want to like i don't know for sure so i would just be like speculating yeah yeah yeah. but uh but yeah basically what you're saying is it wasn't like an agenda that you had to kind of uh encourage sobriety or whatever it was just like you you went to see guy mariano and and ali and all these guys wanting to share their story and not necessarily wanting to talk a lot about uh, sobriety and addiction and stuff. I think what happens is, is it becomes a beginning, middle and end like of a story. You have an arc and you meet up with a skater. And so, because I've had a couple, I've, I, I've met up with a skater once and I was like, are you going to talk about like becoming a heroin addict and all this shit? And they're like, no, no, no. So I was like, well, how do we explain why you went from amazing skating to gone? Like, how do we... 
you know, you do like the documentary and then you get to that spot. If you're not going to talk about drugs. Yeah. Like maybe we shouldn't do this. Fuck. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cause I've seen that with some skaters where they didn't want to talk about drugs. And so they have these interviews about why they dropped out of skating and they make up all this shit. That's not like believable. Yeah. Now I, okay. So with this skater, I don't know their, their drug addiction. I don't know what their issues are, but do you remember in Menek Mahdi? Or is it Menek Mahdi, that S video with, with uh, Tom Penny? Right. And then there's a voiceover of Jeff Raleigh, and he's like, he was just over it, man. Like, because they were like, what happened to Tom Penny? And they're like, he was just over it, man. He just was tired of, like, California. I don't have the exact quote. Is it, is it in Menek Mahdi or in Sari? Uh, maybe it's in Menek Mahdi, yeah. It's in Menek Mahdi, and it's like 16 millimeter footage of him walking around. And you're like, oh, he was sick of signing autographs. That's why he... Yeah. Anyway, I feel like as someone making a documentary, I need honesty or I need the story. So you go to like uh, Guy Mariano and you're like, so what happened? Why did you disappear? Yeah. What was that? That's like drugs and alcohol mm. and other shit. And then you go to the next skater and you're like, hey, Eric Dressen, what happened? Why weren't you around? Or hey, Anthony Van England, what happened? Or hey, whoever, whatever skater. And so it just becomes a theme because you're like, Hey, this guy kind of disappeared for three years or five years and now he's back and nine times out of ten the answer is going to be cocaine or something mm-hmm. i wanted to ask you also um who are some of the guests that you didn't have on epically later and that you really really absolutely want to get maybe one day or that you almost got or who are some of the people that uh you uh didn't get yet and that you would really want to see on the show I felt like we were we had so many skaters within certain eras because of my friend group or whatever. And I never had like Lance Mountain or Tony Alva or Jay Adams or... I mean, there were little things. Some of those people appeared, but there was kind of a big gap in the 70s and 80s pros. Yeah. Because I didn't know them. You didn't grow up uh, watching them skate? Or, yeah. well, no, I grew up watching them skate. I'm just not friends with them. So okay, like okay, Spank- I see. Spanky, mm-hmm. Dustin Dolan, Ali Bulala, those are people like I just know already. Or Jerry Sue or whoever, I could just hit them up. Sure. When I see Hasoy, he doesn't remember who I am. Every time I see him, I'm like, hey. Or Tony Hawk doesn't remember who I am. So <laughs> those skaters, there's kind of a gap in the in those skaters. What what about some of the new newer guys that you interviewed, like uh, Harmony Kareen and like Spike Jones and all, all the all the guys on the the latest uh, season that you made? Were, did you already know them pretty well, or Harmony maybe not so much? But I had talked to him on the phone a few times, and um, he said he wanted to do it. You know, those were interesting because you know you you make a show on somebody's like skateboard ability, but you also want to show people that like are also current and doing things. Mm-hmm. And I like in skateboarding finding the people that created the culture. So Harmony Kareen would be like one of the more extreme examples in on my show of somebody that wasn't a pro at all. Yeah. But he's somebody that influenced the landscape of skating and the aesthetic and has insights. You know, I always look now for experts. Sometimes I feel like I don't always need to hear from just the skater that did the trick. It gets repetitive. But you want like voices that are experts on skating they're like thinkers they think about skating they think about how it plugs in and have ideas and are poetic about what it all means Mm -hmm. and harmony was a little bit of a risk it was also hard because those episodes needed to be 45 minutes or for 50 minutes and so some of them bams felt like it could have been two hours yeah 
And then I remember harmonies being like, this should be 25 minutes. And we had to stretch it to get it into the time slot. Whereas on the web, we just make it until it got boring and then turn it off. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you go like this one, this one's, this one's 15 minutes. This one's 45 minutes. This one's two hours, like whatever. Harmonies, I was like, I got to stretch this. Not because he's not interesting, but because the interesting things about him need to at least tie into skateboarding in some way. Right, right, yeah. And his influence in skating was kids, gummo, some of the people that were inspired by him, like Alien Workshop and some graphics he did. Mm-hmm. And some of the people he knows within skating, like uh, some of his friends and stuff. But it was a little bit tough to get it to 50 minutes. Spike Jones was a lot easier because he... He did a lot more in skating, having like owned skateboard companies. And sure. He's still present in skateboarding. He's behind the scenes, but he's relevant. Mm-hmm. So uh, the time slots were a little tough. Yeah. I actually wondered about that because uh, that, that last season you made, uh, which was what, like two or three years ago now, you had it formatted for TV, right? So you had to like cut it so to insert like TV commercials and stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. So did it, did it really change? a lot your approach as to the storytelling and everything yeah each section was down to the second and so you'd mix sections and each section had a theme but they were literally like we need to cut eight seconds or whatever like we need to cut a minute we need to add a minute mm-hmm. and then each section needs a theme i mean there was a little bit of flexibility in there but on the web you just do whatever you just make it however long it doesn't matter so that was tough We also used music for the first time. My show never had music. Occasionally, sparingly, occasional music. Some of the episodes we started to play with music a little bit, but it was always like ambient. Like Ali Bulala's, we put a little bit of score in That's it. right, yeah. There's like kind of a sad kind of mu- music in the background, but, but not very loud, kind of discreet. Yeah, I wanted you... I had Randy Randall from the band No Age score it. I just told him like music that you don't even know is music. Like, I don't want to know. I don't want to think about that there's music. Sure. So, yeah, it was scored. but And there was occasional other times. But there's episodes with no music the entire time. And it's cheaper, but it's also, it was like an aesthetic choice. Mm-hmm. Kind of. But then with the television show, that just wasn't going to fly. So they were like, we need to score all these. I mean, not score them. We need, like, music. And then I think we spent all our budget on the Spike Jones episode so we could get, like, Sonic Youth and Dinosaur Jr. and stuff. And then the rest of them, we went cheap. Okay. <laughs> so uh, that last season, so it was a bit more formatted. Were there talks about doing another one later? Or was it just basically, let's do this one and, and we'll see? Or There was. I think I got an email, like, let's think about the next season. And I wrote down a list of topics or people or whatever. But just nothing came of it. And I think there was, um, I don't know, because I, I don't, talk to anybody really advice right now or i don't know not not that no that makes it sound like i'm i have animosity i just don't the people that i worked with don't all don't work there anymore and everyone's moved on so i and i don't know what their budgets are or what's going on so it's just it's like fizzled out if they hit me up and we're like do eight more we i'd do it for sure okay but um it's just like i never hear from them Would you like to do that or would you, would you like to go back to eventually, maybe one day, uh, go back to what you were doing before, like uh, on the internet where you had a bit more freedom and creative control or? I think I would do it on the internet. I would do both. Whatever. I'll do whatever. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that would be sick. I, I, I really love to see some, some more uh, episodes from you. Uh, like there's a, a lot of other people in skateboarding that would... Uh, be interesting to uh, cover uh, you, you mentioned Tom Penny earlier like he would be a super 
interesting person to uh whose career you could you know cover and he's he's coming back like i saw on instagram i think yesterday he's skating for s again <laughs> it was kind of strange uh but but yeah no it's cool it's cool to see him still skating and still still out there so yeah i felt bad what i said earlier about his mental health but i mean yeah he's one of the greatest of all time for sure he's one of those people that you trade stories about you know we all have we all have these stories about tom and mm -hmm. um you meet up with somebody and be like, dude, I saw this or I saw that. And um, is there ever uh, an opportunity to do episodes about him? Or Yeah, I, I interviewed him for Jeff Rawley's. Oh, you did? OK. He's in Jeff's. I oh, haven't okay. rewatched it since it was new, so I don't remember. But I remember the interview and it was the most unusual interview. I've, or one of the most unusual interviews I've ever done because I tried to do it like we're talking now mm -hmm. and he didn't. He had what he wanted to say about Jeff, like memorized. And he, so basically we sat down and he told me the entire history of Jeff. And then he's like, can I look at it? And he looked at it. He watched it on the, on the back of the camera, on the monitor. Right. And he's like, I want to do it again. And he sat down and I didn't even ask him a question. He just said everything. And it was all verbatim repeated. And he did it again. I want to say maybe three times. And then we were done. No questions. It was just, I'm just going to say what I want to say about Jeff. And it was kind of what I would have asked anyway. And then he said, and he's told me which parts to use. And he said, don't make me look bad, basically, because um, he's, you know, he's kind of aware of, of how he is. and Yeah, how, how mythical he is kind of in the skateboarding world. How mythical, but also he just wanted to make sure I was sensitive to how he looks and sounds to paint him, put him in a good light. And I respected it because he was, it was nice of him to have him on. Yeah. But uh, he's kind of, this has happened a few times in people want episodes on certain people. And there's a, there is mythology around certain skaters. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I, I feel like it would be a disservice to look too close, to follow Tom for six months and make a documentary. Yeah. It might not be what we actually want. And same with people. People wanted Lenny Kirk. There was the skater Lenny Kirk. Yeah, yeah. And everyone's like, do one on Lenny Kirk. Do one on Lenny Kirk. And I did a sort of side one on Lenny Kirk in the Josh Kalis episode. And I did, it was like a backdoor way to go like, here's the Lenny Kirk. And so people would be like, do a Lenny Kirk episode. And in my head, I'm like, I already did. Mm -hmm. It's in the Josh Kalis episode. And six minutes of it is the Lenny Kirk. And I don't think you guys want more. Like, I don't think you want... 2021 Lenny Kirk on camera. Mm -hmm. I don't think you want it. You think you want it. It might actually like ruin the myth. And I'm not saying Tom ruins the myth because actually the myth is pretty interesting when you get close. But we tried to slip Tom Penny into other people's episodes. And um, someone, I mean, if someone made a Tom Penny documentary, I'll, I'm sign me up. I'll watch it. But um, but you probably won't be the one to uh, direct it or. Yeah, because it could almost be like exploitational. Like he's not. Well, I don't. I'm not a doctor. I don't know what he has, but he has men, mental health issues. Is like the generic way to put it, I guess. Mm -hmm. Besides addiction, his addiction might actually not be the main thing. Sure. Yeah. 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 And and Jeff told me about his his upbringing in um, in England. Yeah, and Jeff said when he went to his house, he went there and there was like like no one was home and the windows were smashed out. And he lived in a house with no windows. And uh, it sounds like he had it tough from the start. And some of that stuff is inevitable that uh, someone like that with is it's almost like feral. is going to have problems as an adult. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
we just have a, a few last questions, but um, I wanted to talk about a little bit about the, the Dumb Big Brother documentary. That was already a few years ago, maybe in 2016 or something, when you released that. How long did it take you to work on that? And how did, it, um, how did you end up getting that opportunity, basically? I think Hulu either had the idea or Jeff Tremaine had the idea. I don't know. Some one of them. And then what happened was, or the way Jeff told me, Jeff Tremaine told me, it was Hulu had the idea. And Jeff is like, well, I can't make a documentary about myself. So he hired me. So Jeff was like my boss. Jeff was the executive, one of the executive producers on the project. But he said he, he wanted it to look a little bit like Epically Later. Sure. So they hired me and I worked on it with Sean Cliver and Jeff Tremaine. And I think in a sense, I, I helped them tell their story because I think it was a little bit autobiographical because those people were present, you know, through, ed through editing and shooting and stuff. So I, in some ways, I feel like it was their project and I was sort of invited in as a... A, a helper. Mm -hmm, exactly. Okay. So I don't... That's why it aesthetically is so different than Epically Later. And aesthetically is almost like a Big Brother piece mm -hmm. which at first felt hard for me because i was like i wanted to look like epiculated i guess if it's gonna have your name uh, yeah yeah once i sort of sort of felt the role was more like another eye on it it wasn't an epically later episode it was a big brother i think it was a little more autobiographical you know and i just like helped them tell their story yeah yeah, yeah. we touched on this a little bit but um basically what i was interesting in the process of when, when you do an epically later episode Do you usually kind of script, so to speak, the episode before you actually get with the guest and, and start interviewing him? Or do you, does it kind of all happen organically? And I'm sure it must have evolved a little bit from the start to the latest season you made, where it was for TV and everything, and it was a bit more like formatted. But basically, do you kind of sit down with the guest and, and talk with him about or her about like, what is a list of topics we want to cover, main events in your life or something? I think I learned early on. So early on, I didn't know script. Just show up, camera, film, ask questions. And then later I started, I kept getting like curveballs where you're halfway through filming or you're towards the end of the filming. And then someone's like, well, I don't want to talk about this. And a couple of times it became, it was like a problem. You know, where you get down the line and suddenly they're being, not difficult, but they're just like, this is off limits, this is off limits. And you start to think, shit, I need to like address this before we start. Mm -hmm. And so the outline came about because of that. And so then I would write like, here's the story. I don't think I necessarily ever meet up with somebody and go over the outline. But I think like, say when I, when Ali Bulala said he would do an episode, I go, are we going to talk about Shane Cross? Because I don't want to fly to Sweden. And then he's like, no drugs, no Shane Cross, no jail. Yeah, well, yeah. You know, and then you're like, what am I doing here? Not because his skating isn't important on its own. It's just from a documentary. It's like, you got to have an ending. Of course, yeah. I think that happened, that happened with Brian Anderson. Brian Anderson was like, I'm not going to talk about being gay. Was his episode before the, the piece uh, about him uh, being gay and stuff? Uh... Mm-hmm. And he said he wasn't going to talk about it. Right, okay. And we were already kind of shooting. And I remember thinking like, well, that makes things... Complicated, yeah. It seemed like with skaters, there was lots of those. That, that happened all the time. People have the things they don't want to talk about. I mean, I have the things I don't want to talk about. The funny thing, though, is from a documentary standpoint, usually the things that people don't want to talk about are usually the most interesting things. <laughs> you know? So yeah. Like, the things that you're afraid of 
of addressing are sometimes the things that will make this interesting or make you interesting or make you relatable. And I found that a lot of the open book people have the best episodes and have the best, I can make the best pieces on somebody that doesn't have any guard up. So yeah, that's why there's an outline. And then I also have an outline for the editor. You know, the editor has to take all this shit and make a story and I don't edit the pieces. So you kind of need an outline. They need an outline as well. Did you edit the, the, the first episodes that you did or were you never part of the editing basically? Never. I mean, I, I was a little more a part of the editing. On, I remember the first one. I spent a couple of days advice like trying to edit it, but I just, I'm not doing that. And plus if I was editing it, it would be, they would all end up being five hours long. So I need an, I need somebody to come in and like ruthlessly chop. Yeah. Because I think as the, you, you become attached to all this stuff that happens over the course of the day and I need someone to chop it all off. Was it the same person editing all of the Epically Latered episodes or did it also kind of evolve? It's evolved. Lauren Cinnamon was the main person almost the whole time. I think towards the end, she had a team and then her team would cut it. So there were new people that were editing and then she would be more of like a producer and the, ed the editors would be like under her. Right, right, right. Did she know a lot about skateboarding or was she kind of just outside of it? She's outside of it. She didn't know anything about it. Yeah, which would make it easier to... Uh... Well, it helped too because I remember, I remember with Cardiel's, we had big tricks he did. He did a drop in at Burnside. He like ollied the rail at maybe at Miley. There were a couple other big tricks he did, right? I can't remember. Mm -hmm. And she was like, you need to pick two. Like we're not going to go in on every single, or not every single, we're not going to go in on six tricks. Or with Arto, I remember it was like, he did this trick and he did this rail and it was like a big thing and everyone was excited or he did this and he got hurt, but then he got up and made it. Right. And it becomes repetitive. But as a skate fan, you're like, well, yeah, but what about El Toro? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. And so having someone from the outside being like, you need to pick. You can have El Toro, but then you get rid of the other one. You can have sorry, but you can't have real, you can't have extremely sorry and real sorry. Right, you need right. to pick. Mm -hmm. Because as a fan, we're just like, remember the time. And so sometimes people in the comments will be like, you didn't talk about, why didn't you talk about this one trick or this one video part? And from the editing perspective, you're like, because it's repetitive. Yeah, and it would be too long, yeah. Yeah, and one trick represents the whole. Like, you pick one, and it's an example that stands in for all of it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like, he got hurt, he hit his head, and then he got back and he made the trick. You don't, you don't need, like, ten of those. So anyway, the editor, an editor from outside of skateboarding, I think, really, like, kept things tight. So you didn't get bored, because otherwise, otherwise you get bored. I also figured that... We also aren't making the only thing these people are ever going to make. So if we cut a bunch of topics, they're going to have an interview in Thrasher. They're going to have an interview on Chromeball Incident. They're right. going to make another documentary and they can hit the stuff we, we left out. Sure. Like this isn't, these aren't like bookended like, yeah, that was the other time when I cut things. I was like, oh, that's sad to cut that. And I'm like, well, they can talk about it somewhere else, especially yeah. skate drama. So sometimes people would want to know like a falling out with a brand, like how come... Talk more about this, like, in America, we call it Inside Baseball. There's a show about baseball, and it's, like, Inside Baseball, and it's really minutiae, like, gossip, I guess. Mm -hmm. And so we'd always say, oh, this is too Inside Baseball. And people would be like, well, what about, why did that person quit Thunder Trucks? Or <laughs> talk about, you know, and some of that stuff, also because we have to make something that's visually exciting. Yeah. And sometimes you're like, there's no visual there of like why you had a falling out with this crew or this company or some skate beef. 
Let's just cut all that. And if they want to have an interview, talk about it somewhere, somewhere else, else. Yeah. like mm-hmm. like Jenkum Jenkum Mag interview, mm-hmm. or a podcast. You can go on the Nine Club and do a six hour thing. Mm-hmm. Or we have to make something like visually compelling, beginning, middle, and end. Something you can watch in one sitting. Something you're not going to open up and it says like two and a half hours and then you immediately close the window. Yeah, so, <laughs> exactly. You just have to think about like storyboarding more than even a podcast. Like a podcast, you can kind of just like drift around a little bit. But yeah, but if it's too long, it's uh, I mean, as I told you earlier, like I had this interview that lasted six hours and like it was fun talking with this person for six hours. But who's going to listen to that? You know, it's just way too long. I, I think you have to cut it into parts with the show we cut it into parts because i think a couple of them i think gino ianucci's episode somehow was two hours but they were cut up into parts and they were dropped weekly right so you you could sit down and listen to gino for eight minutes and then wait for the next eight minutes but you spread it out we didn't make a two-hour youtube right you know we made like eight minute youtubes or whatever that you come in like episodically and watch finish it later sure you just don't want to like bum people out with like these big lengths. Well, yeah, no, exactly. So can you tell me a little bit about some of the more recent work you've been doing? I saw some of your more, most recent uh, work with uh, Vans. You did those two cool pieces with um, Share Strawberry, I think was the last one I saw at least. And uh, there was a little one about Brianna Gearing uh, as well. Mm-hmm. I hope I'm saying their names somewhat correctly. <laughs> So is that your kind of main work that you're doing right now uh, with Vans or uh, what, what, what are you up to these days? Well, yeah, I'm stay-at-home dadding because I have a baby. That's a, a full-time job right there, yeah. Dude, it's <laughs> insane. It's harder than anything I've ever done. So uh, I'm doing that and then on the weekends I'm doing shooting. Those are for Vans. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, it's commercial work, I guess you could say, because those are usually, um, there'll be like a collection of a capsule, like Cher had a colorway and a couple shoes and i've done a bunch of those a lot of times i my name's not really on them they're just sort of like they're just tools to to sell the collection we did one with justin henry from ohio mm-hmm. and so the yeah the last one was share yeah i'm stoked on them. i mean in a sense they're they're commercial they're like they're advertorial i guess you could say but it's fun and i love hands so we're working on like batches of those right now we have a bunch coming out cool so all, all for vents that that's that's like your main gig right now yeah so my wife works so i stay at home and watch our arthur monday through friday and then usually maybe friday afternoon then i start to have free time Mm -hmm. and so i schedule the shoots on friday saturday sunday and try to shoot friday saturday and sunday and then and i I have a a team like just i don't do it alone but i um I try to schedule my shoots on Saturday and Sunday. And then uh, like last weekend, I shot with Tyson Peterson, who skates for Vans, and uh, Brighton Zoiner, who skates for Vans. She's on the Olympic skate team for America, and she has a little collection of shoes. And so I went and filmed with her on Saturday and then filmed with Tyson on Sunday. Okay. And then filmed with Reynolds after my wife got off work. I went and filmed with Reynolds in the evening. So I schedule it all around my wife's work and taking care of arthur that's cool so so it's all vans writers but from really different uh generations and backgrounds so it must be quite interesting uh it's fun it's fun and i like it i mean i like staying in touch and it's fun it's and it feels like relaxing at this point compared to a toddler i'm like man i'm just gonna go like shoot the shit with andrew for like two hours (laughs) it's gonna be relaxing and nice yeah no absolutely 
So for the few interviews I've done so far, I, I usually end up with this question about the current state of skateboarding and in a month from now, it will be in the Olympics for the first time. And it's evolved so much. Skateboarding has evolved so much, uh, of course, since uh, its beginnings. As I said earlier, I started skating in 2000, right when I think the first Tony Hawk Pro Skater game was coming out. And mm -hmm. when I started in France, it was still not frowned upon, but people weren't stoked on skating. And today, skateboarding has become something so so much, you know, uh, marketable. And But yeah, no, basically, I just wanted to ask you what, what your perception is of its current state right now and how you see it evolve in the near future as a sport, as a culture. Yeah, I like skateboarding now. People romanticized the 90s when I started skating or got really into skating, but I, it was a hard time to be a skater. There was like a uniform almost. Right, yeah. There was homophobia. There was um, anger, close-minded. Mm -hmm. Everyone rode the same boards. Everyone wore the same outfit. Everyone listened to the same music. It was so like gate-kept and an outsider, which also made skateboarding kind of exciting that it was a, like a really tightly held subculture. Skaters are like this thing. And the look was so outrageous. It was so separate from regular society. Like if you saw a skater, you knew they were skate. Like how they were dressed, you're like, that's a skater. Like the shoes and yeah. Mm -hmm. So it was like a, it was like almost a cult, which was exciting in retrospect because it was so uniquely skateboarding, mm -hmm. and that made it exciting. But sometimes it was hard and tiring, especially as somebody who you know you consider yourself a free thinker. And you go like, well, I like this music and not that music. Or I like, I have friends that are gay. Sometimes it became hard. Like, I'm into this, I'm into skateboarding, but I'm not into all this other stuff. And then it became like adversarial. Like you, you're like in danger of getting like beat up at a skate spot or something. So sometimes it made it fun. Sometimes it made it hard. I can both romanticize it and go like, I'm glad that's over. It was interesting what you said about how you came in through skating from Tony Hawk Pro Skater. I came into skating through Back to the Future with Michael J. Fox. Mm -hmm. I watched Back to the Future, not the hoverboards, but the, the first movie. I watched the first movie, got a skateboard the next day. And I feel like the Olympics is going to do that again. Probably, yeah. And there, there's been a number of those. There's, there's also like so many pros now won't necessarily admit it, but they came in through BAM or they came in through Jackass. For sure, yeah. They watched BAM and the Heartogram. And we're like, I like that. I'm gonna, I'm a BAM fan. I'm gonna start skating. Yeah, yeah. Or like Ryan Schechler. And you'll, you'll or... find, you'll meet a pro. You're like, what got you into skating? And they're like, BAM. Mm -hmm. And they don't, you know, that's kind of weird to admit, but it's, there's Alva, there was Tony Hawk Pro Skater, there was the Bones Brigade, there was BAM. There's more, there's Odd Future. There's probably so many kids that like saw Odd Future and were like, I like skating. Or were Supreme fans and like Supreme. Yeah. And we're just like, I'm gonna start skating. I think the Olympics is going to do that again. Mm -hmm. I don't have a, um, a pro or anti stance on the Olympics. I kind of don't want to bother with that debate. Not that I don't care, but it just kind of is. It's skateboarding's in the Olympics. I think there will be a good or detrimental effect. Well, not detrimental because one thing that's about skating is skateboarding is something you go do. Like it's not like normal sports, like like basketball or whatever. Right, like you're. No one's going to be like, oh, you like the Lakers. Can you dunk? But if you're like wearing a Thrasher shirt, like people will be like, well, can you ollie? Yeah. Skateboarding is something you do, not necessarily something you're a fan of. So I don't know how anything affects anything. Because when I skateboard, I don't worry about like what's in the new Thrasher. I just kind of daydream about Eric Dressen and just skate. You mm -hmm. just go skate. You pretend you're Tom Penny and you just skate. 
the skateboard industry doesn't really affect that. So I'm not going to sit around and get angry about some stuff. I'm going to watch the Olympics. Mm-hmm. I don't have cable right now, but I was like, I'm going to have to go get cable just to watch this or figure out how to watch it on the internet. I don't know, but I'm interested and I want to watch it, especially as somebody that uh, is interested in stories. This is going to be like an interesting story unfolding. For sure. And I think it'll depend on who wins. Skateboarding sort of um, enthusiasm, because if somebody rad wins and there's a number of skaters I like, like I like Oscar Rosenberg. From Polar, right? Yeah, who's from Malmo. like Sweden or, yeah. Mm-hmm. He has a chance of winning. If he wins, that's good for skateboarding. If uh, Pedro Barros from Brazil wins, that's good for skateboarding. I like Zion Wright for America. If he wins, that's that's like a good look. Yeah. And we'll all be proud. We'll be like, man, someone rad won. I feel like when Tony Hawk did the 900, you're like, oh, cool. Everyone's excited. Even people outside of skating are excited, but we're excited because we like Tony Hawk. That's cool that he won. He did the 900. That's nice. Mm -hmm. And everyone got excited about it. So I'm really hoping somebody that is a good ambassador for skating and somebody that we're, we're all excited about wins. And I'm not worried about if they're American or not. When I watch like <laughs> swimming or something, I'm like, I just root for the American because I don't know anything about it. I'm just like, you watch the Olympics and you're like, all right, I guess I hope the American wins. That'd be cool. With skateboarding, I just want somebody that we all like to win. I would love it if it was Zion, Pedro, Oski. Then that's a good result. If somebody cheesy does a Benihana and lands and does like finger snaps and is like a douchebag, we're going to be bummed. Yeah. And there's a ch- mm. there's a chance that that could happen. And he's going to get a lot of shit if if he or she does that like uh, in the skateboarding world it would be kind of Yeah, there's some there's some like douchey people that have made it in. We have to be concerned. But I mean, <laughs> but then again, who cares? Like someone douchey wins like it'll be the biggest thing for like a month and then we all move on and like Yeah. Because skateboarding isn't measured in competitive contests anyway. We're just going to have to deal with this like outside uh, media being like, this person is now the greatest skater of all time because they won the Olympics and we're going to have to either roll our eyes. But if everyone sits, if the media sits around and says Oscar Rosenberg is the greatest skater of all time, I'm cool with it. I'm like, that's fun. He's a nice guy. He's humble. He's exciting. Good for him. Like, that'll be funny or it'll be fun. Mm -hmm, mm Mm-hmm. So I think it'll be in retrospect, we'll gauge our opinion on how that went, pretty much based on who won. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's going to be interesting for sure. Yeah, it's, it's funny, a, a few months ago, or maybe a year or something ago, when I first heard about the Olympics, my first reaction, like a lot of people was kind of, oh my God, this is going to suck. And they're going to take our, this amazing culture and make it super mainstream and shitty. But uh, yeah, I think it's actually going to be interesting and and fun and the one thing i was thinking about with skating is that skateboarding isn't you could say it like ruins it but skating has like ruined itself skating isn't like isn't uh spotless as far as its own corniness that the olympics and and skateboarding strong enough to withstand that corniness of the olympics like so i was working with vans on these vans park series contests as a job like uh mm-hmm. my day job And I would go to all the contests. That's why I know who a lot of the athletes are going to be because I've worked with them. Not athletes, sorry, skaters. But you watch them, you watch these guys. So people say like the uniform is lame, right? Like that skateboarding as an Olympic event where everyone has uniforms, that's lame. But 
you should see these skaters all have Red Bull, Monster, Rockstar, like energy mm-hmm. drinks. That I'm like, man, the Olympics is going to improve them. They're going to be like, you can't wear a fucking Red Bull hat in our contest. Yeah. If anything, you have to wear this like Ralph Lauren Nike thing. Mm-hmm. Like as cheesy as that is, that's a that's better than what these guys are often wearing, where they're just like NASCAR like logo, like a so- like soccer like fly Emirates. It's like uh, Red Bull, Nike, whatever. So I was like, man, I think the uniforms might chill some of these people out. That's a good point, yeah. But that skateboarding isn't this like. I don't know. You can take a look through skate history and find lots of like corny shit. And skating always like survived. Skating always did okay. Yeah, yeah. So I'm not. I'm not worried about it. I think on social media, maybe people are being a little dramatic about it. Mm-hmm. But I am hopeful. I don't know everyone in all the like street as well. But in skate park, I I've just worked with the skaters. I know who they all are. Mm-hmm. I think for the girls in skateboarding, I think someone's from Japan's gonna win. For street or for park? For park. Okay. There's the one girl, I can't remember her name, but she's so fucking good that like smokes everybody. (laughs) (laughs) So, but I have people I'm rooting for. We'll see how how it turns out, but yeah, it's going to be fun. Well, thank you again. Thank you, Patrick. It was really fun talking to you. Little side note for all the listeners, this interview was recorded late June, a little bit before the Olympics, and Patrick's prediction turned out to be right. Sakura Yosozumi from Japan won the gold medal for Women's Park, Pedro Barros gave a great performance as well and took the silver medal for Men's Park, and of course Yuto Hurigome from Japan won the gold medal for Men's Street. You can follow Patrick on his Instagram account, at epicallylatered, Go check out his latest video pieces for Vance on their YouTube channel. And if you haven't seen them, go check out his Epically Latered episodes wherever you can find them. Thanks for listening to this episode. See you soon for a new episode of Beyond Boards. Beyond Boards.